Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled, The Latest Clinical Considerations for Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer, A Global Approach, is provided by Agile and is supported by an independent educational grant from Merck. Before starting this activity, please be sure to review the disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. Here is Dr. Federico Capuzzo. Welcome to our discussion on the latest clinical considerations for non-small cell lung cancer, a global approach. I'm Dr. Federico Capuzzo, and I'm joined today by Dr. Solange Peter and Professor Elon Wu. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Federico. It's a great, great pleasure for me really to be here with you and try to share some of the approaches we might use in Europe to treat non-small cell lung cancer patients with immunotherapy. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, thank you, Dr. Caputo. I'm, I'm very, very pleased to be here to join this discussion. Thank you. Let's uh, get started with uh, a topic uh, we are uh, frequently asked to address uh, because uh, it's an area of much confusion. I'm talking about uh, predictive testing to determine treatment. Let's talk about the current rationale for the selection of immunotherapy based on testing result. Uh, Professor Wu, uh, why don't you get us started? Uh, so far, we now almost uh, uh, 60% patient with the driver gene, and also we are now the non-small cell cancer could divide the squamous carcinoma and the adenocarcinoma. Based on this data, so very important, uh, we need to select a patient for the immunotherapy. First, uh, the important uh, biomarker is the PD-1. We could base on PD-1 to select the patient for the immunotherapy or the combination. And also the biomarker could predict side effect. So this is why we need to test the biomarker for selected patient. Well, I fully agree. We need biomarkers to be able to, to select patients for the benefit of what we do. In lung cancer, we probably have been the pioneers in trying to define the role of PDL1 as being assessed and measured on tumor cells to predict the efficacy, the activity of the monotherapy of anti PD1 or anti PDL1. And we have been showing that there is still this uh, one out of four patients who might still benefit from a simple monotherapy of anti-PD-1 or anti-PDL-1, provided the tumor cells, more than 50% of the tumor cells express PDL-1. So second biomarker, the usual suspect, right, is uh, the surrogate of the presence of neoantigen, that is the tumor mutational burden, the TMB. TMB is supposed to speak about the visibility of the tumor by the immune system. Maybe uh, TMB needs some more time to develop, and I'm quite convinced that we have now consistent data, not only in lung cancer, but across diseases, showing and signaling that TMB or neoantigen loads might be good biomarkers to predict immunotherapy efficacy. But remember, using one specific platform of foundation medicine, TMB is already a biomarker to be used in the U.S., for the use of pembrolizumab across diseases. So we need more work, but it's already something which is important at least in the US and needs some more time in Europe. I think that also we have uh, some uh, additional relevant uh, biomarker that could be useful for uh, selecting uh, 
patients that are a candidate for uh, immunotherapy. And among uh, these biomarkers, certainly the HRD or uh, DNA mismatch repair deficiencies, including uh, microsatellite instability, represent an important potential biomarker. We have evidence from uh, also from clinical trials showing that patients, uh, particularly with uh, microsatellite instability, are particularly sensitive to immunotherapy. And this is something that we are observing not only in lung cancer, but also in many other diseases. We have a clear evidence that immunotherapy is working. And also we know that there is the approval of some agents, uh, for example, pembrolizumab, specifically for uh, patients presenting this event. I don't know if uh, Ilonga or uh, Solange, you have uh, some uh, additional uh, um, uh, uh, insight uh, on this discussion, if you want to add some uh, some comment on that. So I think there's this kind of uh, a very important assessment of trying to find drivers, particularly non-squeamers, to make sure that there's no driver and no other options. And the second thing is PDL1. We usually also have TMB here in my center because uh, it's a question of curiosity, but also it's a question of defining the landscape of neoantigen for other experimental approaches. Well, each country probably has a different uh, way in which uh, biomarkers are explored, uh, simply because also the approval of the drug is uh, different. In, uh, in Italy, generally, we are not doing uh, TMB. Very few centers are doing TMB. We, of course, screen all patients for PDL1, and all, we screen also all our patients uh, for uh, DNA mismatch repair deficiencies. Uh, in, uh, this is across uh, all uh, cancer types because uh, we know the efficacy specifically of uh, immunotherapy in uh, this kind uh, of patients. I think uh, because the, uh, in the clinical practice, the IO plus the chemotherapy is the very, very popular and very, very common. So in the China, most uh, physicians don't test the PD-1. Uh, for the celeste patient. But in some the special situation, such as uh, for the elderly patient or the performance data is the poor, so in this station we uh, test the PD-1 to select the monotherapy. So this is the clinical practice point. So for uh, patients where immunotherapy is appropriate, how do we determine when to use monotherapy versus combination therapy? And uh, more importantly, uh, what are we learning about the sequencing of immunotherapy? And we start with Dr. Peters. Thanks a lot, Federico. Uh, as I said before, what is very reassuring is we have now consistent data telling that there is this opportunity for one patient out of four to only receive monotherapy. Would it be pembrolizumab atezolizumab, and maybe in the future, uh, semiplimab. This is respectively uh, related to three trials, the Kino 24, the Empower 110, and the Empower 1. All of these trials demonstrate that in this case of high PDL1 expression on tumor cells, more than 50% of the tumor cells expressing PDL1, the monotherapy is first of all superior to chemo, but also as shown with long-term follow-up for Kino 24 at the ESMO meeting this year, allowing for an amazing long-term benefit with more than 30% 
of survival at five years with sperm bro monotherapy only. So really meaning that it's an opportunity, it's an opportunity for long-term and durable benefits, allowing, you know, to keep the chemotherapies that we all fear a little bit the side effects uh, from, and also that patients don't like so much for the subsequent line of treatment. So just to conserve and protect the quality of life with a chemo sparing regimen of monotherapy checkpoint and keep the chemotherapy for second line. So I think this is really a great option that I guess in Europe, we all still try to use uh, in most of the patients with high PD-1 expression. I think, Solange, I agree with uh, your, uh, your comment. Uh, but unfortunately, immunotherapy is not effective in all patients with cancer because we have a, a significant proportion of patients that are not sensitive to immunotherapy, at least when uh, immunotherapy is used as a single agent. This is the reason why in my practice, I generally give preference for the combination of immunotherapy and chemotherapy. Of course, it's important to consider the general condition of the patient, the age, and of course, if chemotherapy is contraindicated or not. But if chemotherapy is not generally contraindicated, I generally give preference to the combination of uh, immunotherapy and chemotherapy is uh, the uh, way in which we guarantee to the patient the most effective uh, regimen, particularly in those situations in which there is a very high risk of progression. I want to talk about the IO plus IO, the combination. As you know, the, because the most patients are afraid of the chemotherapy because of the toxicity. So the IO plus IO combination is very attractive and very, very promising, especially for the Chenmei 227. This a complex clinical trial showed the, the pd one more 1% 1 patient can benefit from this IO plus IO. And so this the computation also approved by the, the FDA in the, some the country. But for me, I think that I'm very interested in the, the PD1 negative patient. The, the IO plus the IO also shows a very com, uh, promising result. But I also think the CTR4 the inhibitor not approved in the most based country, uh, including the China. So this means that in this situation, we could not use an IO plus IO in our clinical practice. Thank you, thank you. I think that you introduced also a very important point uh, that is, uh, of course, evaluation of toxicity. Uh, of course, uh, when we have to decide about monoimmunotherapy versus a combo with chemotherapy or IO plus IO treatment, we need to consider also the risk of adverse events that we have with the combination. I'm a little conservative here. I think that uh, in terms of facing a metastatic disease, I still think and guess that this opportunity of uh, trying to give a simple treatment with monotherapy anti-PD-1 or anti-PDL1, I usually use monotherapy anti-PD-1, is a great opportunity. I also like the idea that I keep the chemo for a second line option. However, there might be some patients, like you said before, who might be really in danger because of the disease, a threatening disease because of its location, or it's a burden in terms of tumor burden, right? Absolutely, I agree with this comment. And this is important also for the audience uh, to understand uh, 
when is better to be more aggressive and when probably we can give a less aggressive therapy. Thank you for, uh, for all of your comments. Let's turn our attention to uh, all of the exciting uh, new data that were uh, recently presented. Uh, we just had the uh, World Lung Cancer Conference in January. And last year, we had uh, two exciting meetings, the ESMO meeting and also the ASCO meeting. So Professor Wu, uh, what uh, impressed you on these meetings? So in this World Lung Cancer meeting, also some the exciting the result about the immunotherapy, the result with this. The IO plus IO in the phase three, the clinical trial. I here I would mention the chemo Y9A. Uh, this is a designed PEMBRO plus the epilumimab versus the PEMBRO uh, plus placebo in the fourth like treatment for the metastasis national cell cancer, the PD1 uh, expression more than 50%. So the, this combination. Uh, IO plus I was successful in the C227, but for the chemo 59A, this is the failure clinical trial. The oldest viable 24.4 months versus the 24.9 months. Know the significant difference between these two groups. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Dr. Dr. Wu. I think that also we had uh, some uh, very important data coming from the ESMO meeting. Uh, uh, the first uh, are the data of the Empower Lung 1 trial. That is a trial with a new anti-PD-1 inhibitor that is a semiplimab. It's a drug, semiplimab, already approved in uh, cutaneous uh, squamous cell carcinoma. And uh, the Empower Lung 1 trial was a trial comparing semiplimab versus standard platinum-based chemotherapy in patients with no small cell lung cancer. This trial was uh, clearly positive by showing uh, a significant improvement in uh, both progression-free survival and most importantly, in terms of overall survival. Particularly, the benefit was uh, very strong in the group of patients with high levels of pdl one expression. So we have another agent confirming the superiority of immunotherapy versus platinum-based chemotherapy. Among the new immunotherapeutic agent, anti-TIGIT agent represent a very important class of agent. These agents are generally very well tolerated and therefore it's very easy also to combine with other agents. And uh, during uh, the ASCO and the ESMO meeting, were presented data on uh, uh, new anti-TIGIT, uh, particularly tiragolumab is one of the most exciting agents, and uh, data on the combination of tiragolumab and atezolizumab showed that this combination specifically in the group of patients with high levels of pdl one expression is uh, uh, particularly uh, promising. Uh, Dr. Peters, uh, what about uh, the ASCO 2020? Thank you, Federico. I think the ASCO 2020 had uh, the opportunity to give us some insights about uh, additional or stronger immunotherapy components. So I think Checkmate 227 is paving the way of CTLA4 in non-small cell lung cancer. But the trial is probably too complex to just take it as, as it is, right, for pres prescribing at least globally. Uh, 
So the sister of this trial is a very clean and well-conducted trial called Checkmate 9LA, which was also presented at ASCO, now published, which is using epinevol or those EP, and a short duration of chemo, two cycle of platinum-based chemo. It is compared to chemo and has shown a benefit in overall survival, has shown this early signal for plateauing, and has shown a new opportunity to potentially be delivered to our patients, very short course of chemo, inducing potentially an immunogenic cell death, followed by EP level maintenance uh, for a maximum of two years or until progression. So this is really something which is of interest. Uh, this serve long-term follow-up to try to understand if this might impact the five-year story, what's happening long-term for these patients in line with what we have observed in melanoma. Thank you, Solange. I, I think that we covered the majority of uh, uh, topics, of relevant topics uh, that were presented during uh, the uh, latest meetings. Uh, I think, uh, as a general comment, uh, that uh, today we have uh, uh, more options that we can offer in frontline setting, but unfortunately, we have a few options in patients uh, failing treatment. So the second line therapy remain, unfortunately, an important and relevant problem for our patients. Uh, Solange, what is your idea on that? I mean, if we don't have a clinical trial in daily clinical practice, what can we offer to the patients? It's a very good question. Uh, if you are not an academic center and you have gone through these uh, combinations, like you said, Federico, it's still the majority of patients with chemo IO frontline, and you have to do that, right? Because IO has to be given to every single metastatic patient, so you have to give it frontline. But once you have done it, chemo IO, what does remain for second line? So outside of a clinical trial center, well, it's docetaxel, right? Docetaxel plus ramucirumab plus nintendanib if you can, but at least it's docetaxel. So a little frustrating for, uh, I would say, a precision oncology perspective. Of course, there are many clinical trials ongoing. Still, uh, you will probably uh, agree with me, no very strong signal to be found in terms of redefining a standard second line after chemo IO. These trials are mainly envisaging the combination of a checkpoint plus antiangiogenic, nintendanib, cabozantinib, ramucirumab, bevacizumab, lenvatinib. So all of these are ongoing as second line, IO plus antiangiogenic. That's what's happening. There are also some more refined strategies, right? IO plus multi-target TKI, like citravatinib, which looks very promising. Okay, let's uh, shift our attention to international and regional guidelines where uh, we have seen uh, that uh, there are many differences in how we approach the use of immunotherapy. What are some of these uh, regional differences and how do we address them? Dr. Peters, uh, can you tell us about the European perspective? So Europe is a, is a very specific environment in which, of course, the European Medicines Agency, the EMA, will define the, the broad picture, right? What can you consider at every country level? But remember that uh, beside or beyond EMA, every country level will have its own regulatory body, the payer, right, which is called the HTA, which is still country by country despite uh, our attempts to, to have one unique structure, but still it's country by country. 
meaning that the landscape of accessibility is in the reality still very different from one country to the other one. So I guess what is very important is to have guidelines which allow every physician to find his way despite some missing opportunities or missing option in the country. So that's why I would really encourage in Europe, what we do is we, we write these ESMO guidelines. Now in lung cancer, it's living guidelines, very adaptable over time, which consider of course, every option with what we call a level of evidence, the quality of the trial, a degree of recommendation, how much it changes the fate of the patient, as well as what we call the MCBS, the so magnitude of clinical benefit scale, which is based on EMA approval or after EMA approval, a way to prioritize what you can do according to what you have. So, Professor Wu, what is your uh, perspective? What is the situation in Asia? If the, we are based on the international standard, such as in China, we are only approved the PEMBOL in the fourth life setting, including the monotherapy or the combination with the uh, chemotherapy. In the second line, we are only the NIVL as the only one, the second drug, the drug. And also very, very exciting is that if the one drug approved the indication in the global, such as the FDA or the EMEA or the Japanese. But this indication not approved in the China, but did the drug now launch in the China market. So unfortunately, that's uh, all the time that we have today. I want to thank uh, our audience for listening uh, in and uh, thank my colleagues. Uh, Dr. Solange Peters and Professor Ilong Bu for uh, sharing their valuable insights. It was great speaking with both of you today. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Federico. Wonderful uh, discussion. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I enjoyed this uh, discussion. Thank you. You have been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Agile and is supported by an independent educational grant from Merck. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com agile. Thank you for listening.